Welcome to The Rep. This is Julie Cortez. On June 18, 2019, I sat down with Joseph Hodge, Artistic Director of the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis and third-time Oregon Shakespeare Festival Director, this time helming our 2020 production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Welcome back, Joe. Hi, good to be here. Um, so this is your first time directing A Midsummer Night's Dream, correct? It is, first time ever. And why is it that you are, have not been directing this back in your home theater? So my, uh, my predecessor, Joe Dowling at the Guthrie Theater, who was artistic director for 20 years preceding me, uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream was his signature production, a very, very beautiful production of a play that he did maybe four times across his 20-year tenure. So it is literally the one play I can never direct at the Guthrie Theater. So uh, when Bill Roush called me about A Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, it was such a thrill to think, well, I, you know, I've long wanted to have a go at this play, and uh, this would be a terrific opportunity for me to do it. Absolutely. And what is A Midsummer Night's Dream at its heart for you? What does it mean? I think at bottom, it is a play that is examining the ideas of love and ideas of marriage, or which is to say relationship. And um, there's a tremendous unity of theme in A Midsummer Night's Dream that we don't see in many of Shakespeare's plays, where everything that happens in this play is an investigation and interrogation of uh, ideas of love and ideas of relationship. Um, and that's really, uh, it's, it's really exciting to me. Can you delve a bit more into that? What are the various relationships and what they're well, exploring? Well, you know, uh, most critics, though certainly not everyone, most critics agree that A Midsummer Night's Dream was written explicitly as uh, uh, for a wedding. It was it was written, designed, created expressly to be an entertainment for some aristocratic wedding. Almost all scholars agree on this point. And if you look at the play through that lens, the, the, the play lays out in a very, very, very interesting way. You have in the quartet of young lovers, a look at young love, new love. You look at Oberon and Titania and you see mature love, what it is to be in love forever for a very long time and the complications in relationship. Um, uh, due to a length of time together. In Hippolyta and Theseus, you have this enforced love relationship, which is trying to become a uh, love relationship. And even the mechanicals, the artisans who choose to put on a play for Hippolyta and Theseus, they make a play about a love relationship in Pyramus and Thisbe. So, you know, if we can agree that the play was written and made for a wedding, then the play gets very interesting because the play then lays out as an entertainment for a soon-to-be-married couple, as a kind of parable, lesson for a soon-to-be-married couple of, uh, you know, having a look at all of these different uh, love relationships from multiple angles. And then there's the um, the mortality of the fairy. So in a, in a sense, all of those relationships are kind of like a marriage that they've been together forever. So how did, how did like we talked a bit earlier about Puck and his relationship with Oberon and kind of your approach, what you're thinking ahead of time with that character. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, it's just noodling on the idea of, of immortality. And I don't know that that's such a gift. I mean, can you imagine being around with the same people forever? 
I mean, that, that, so I think it's complicated. I don't know that Puck is a super willing, uh, you know, how many errands can you go on for Oberon before you're just kind of done with that? Uh, so I'm actually really very interested in a Puck that is something other than, you know, a, uh, uh, a, a very happy to do exactly what's, what, what, he, what he's instructed to do, uh, kind of lunatic, over-energized playing. Uh, I, I think that I'm very interested in another kind of Puck altogether. Along those lines, you shared earlier that you're often not a fan of the productions of Midsummer Night's Dream you've seen in that approach. And I'm curious how how that is affecting what you're looking at here with this production. So many productions of A Midsummer Night's Dream, in my experience, uh, end up with a feeling of a New Year's Eve party. Like everyone is just trying so hard to have a good time all evening long that it becomes rather unbearable. And uh, I'm, I'm just really interested in a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream that isn't playing in this uh, uh, hyper-energized, over-needy, trying-to-be-funny 100% of the time uh, production. I'm just not interested in it at all. Um, I think the play is fun and it is funny and, uh, and it is sweet and it's entertaining. We'll, we'll, and we will do all of those things. Um, uh, and also I think the play is moving. I think the play is gentle in some ways. I think, uh, um, I think there's a kind of generosity inside it that is really very, very beautiful. So there are other notes in the play. There are other colors in the play that I really want to see if we can bring forward so that the, the entire evening doesn't feel like just one big lunatic romp. Mm -hmm. And you're teaming up with your longtime collaborator, Jack Herrick, who's doing the music, correct? You worked on Pericles. Yeah. Um, what are some of your early conversations like around the music and what role do you think it has to play? You know, Jack is just one of uh, one of my closest collaborators and I thought his work on Pericles was sensational and I'm I'm very pleased that OSF saw fit to to allow Jack and I to work together on this production as well um, you know uh, uh, music makes most plays better um, uh, Jack Herrick makes all plays better um, he's a splendid splendid writer for the theater and understands what the theater uh, needs and um, uh, and allowing the music to help drive story. And as we all know, it's, uh, you know, music is so connective, emotionally connective, that I think it'll allow us to, to create a production of Midsummer um, that is deep and rich and that, in fact, uh, uh, touches people, not just their minds and not just their funny bone, but also their hearts. How do you describe your approach to directing and how do you plan to bring that to this production? Yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm never good at this particular question. I, um, I, I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I was an actor for a very, very, very long time. Um, and uh, uh, and so I, I flatter myself that I can help actors be successful and, uh, and to do their best work uh, in the shows. I'm deeply sympathetic to. Uh, the, I've gotten to wear a lot of hats in the American theater and uh, acting is by far the hardest job, by far the hardest job uh, in the American theater. Um, because if you're doing that work well, um, it's hard to know for yourself how close or far uh, from the mark you are. And um, 
and I take that part with that role of director very, very seriously. Um, the ability to reflect actors back accurately to themselves. So I like to think that I'm a director that is helpful to actors. I'm certainly a text centrist, and you know, no matter how big the ideas in the play are from a production standpoint, a casting standpoint, a music standpoint, etc. Um, I'm taking all of my cues from the text itself. Um, I think getting the language forward and placed uh, centrally uh, in the storytelling, it, I guess it sounds obvious, but uh, we don't always see it, um, is, is important to me. So um, I guess I'd say those couple of things. Mm -hmm. And you're also going to be asking your actors to some of them to play instruments and sing as well. Yeah. You know, Jack Herrick has the great gift of, of whatever it is you do, uh, then you'll do that thing in the play. So if you, if you, uh, you know, if you can sing and uh, play the ukulele and the harmonica, um, then you're going to end up singing and playing the ukulele and playing the harmonica in the show. Uh, and, and Jack will write for you. What other thoughts do you have about um, specifically um, putting this on in the Angus Bomer Theater? You know, um, I, I've had the great pleasure, the great honor of directing uh, in both the Elizabethan outdoors and in the Thomas, uh, the most intimate of your spaces. Uh, but I told Bill Roush from the first time I came here in 2012, I really want to direct a play in the Bomer. I love that room. I just love that room. You know, it's a uh, some 600 seats in that room, which, which it makes it one of the larger spaces, but it's a very warm room. It receives, uh, you know, actors and audience sit together in that room really very, very beautifully. Uh, so I love the room entirely and I'm very excited to have my, my first opportunity to direct in the Bomer. Joe, why this play at this, at this theater at this time in the year 2020? Well, the beauty of A Midsummer Night's Dream and why we've been performing it pretty much continually for the last 400 years is that its themes never go out of style. I mean, it's, 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 uh, uh, its themes, what it's trafficking in, what it is uh, examining is evergreen. You know, it is an examination of love. It's an examination of relationship. Uh, and that is something that is forever uh, current. And I think in... Um, and I think in a strong production of that play, uh, it feels as current and good to us in 2020 as perhaps it did centuries ago. Is there anything else about this play, this production being back at OSF that you just want to you want to add before we sign off? I love this theater company entirely, um, and the uh, the opportunity to come back and direct uh, again for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is truly a great gift. Um, it is one of the nation's really great, great theaters. It has a spectacular uh, acting company. It has the sort of infrastructure to be able to support the work of the most ambitious directors and designers. Um, it's a really thrilling experience and I'm very honored to be back. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. And that's it today for The Rep. Check out the rest of this series for more exciting interviews on our 2020 season. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at OSF Ashland. <laughs>